0: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. This is episode 220 and it's Friday the 1st of March. This week we are going to revisit the Linux kernel CNA announcement and look at a few stats now that the kernel has started assigning their own CVEs. In particular myself and others have been busy looking at those CVEs in the past couple of weeks. So yeah, we have a bit more insight into that as to how that's going at least so far. Plus, we will do the usual dive into our CVE updates that the team has done in the past week, including for the kernel itself, plus various other packages like RoundCube, Postgres, xml 2 OpenJDK, and others. So, let's just get straight into that. So this week there were 64 unique CVEs addressed by the team and up first we had a bunch of kernel updates. So thanks as always to the kernel team who do all the heavy lifting on patch wrangling and the like for these. Uh, our team just manages writing uh, the USNs which hey is no mean feat either so thank you Rodrigo and Steve for all your work on that as well. So up first we had an update for the kernel in uh, some of our older releases so that's 1804. Uh, that's a 4.15 based kernel and that is now uh, under ESM so part of Ubuntu Pro and that kernel is also backported to the 16.04 release as a hardware enablement kernel. So uh, these updates are relevant if you're running 18.04 in any of uh, AWS or Azure or GCP or uh, Oracle Clouds or others. Uh, in this case, the most interesting vulnerability was a memory leak in the Netfilter subsystem. Again, uh, because this is in part of Netfilter, you can abuse that through an unprivileged username space where you can get cap net_admin and create all your own Netfilter rules to do that as a result. And therefore, you can exhaust system memory through this and cause a denial of service. Uh, then we had an update for the 5.4 base kernel, which is for Ubuntu 20.04 LTS, and again backported to 18.04 in that case as hardware enablement. And this is for uh, all the platforms there really. So for our IoT, uh, Xilinx, zinc MP, IBM, Bluefield, GKEOP, uh, Raspberry Pi, KVM, Oracle, AWS, GCP, the low latency, the OEM kernel, and the generic kernel that probably most people are actually running on their desktops and the like. So one of the more interesting ones here was an out-of-bounds write in the KTLS subsystem. So that's doing TLS within the kernel and that was reported by Jan Horn from Google Project Zero. In this case, if a user could get the kernel to splice a KTLS socket, they can possibly use that then to corrupt memory and escalate privileges. There was also a use after free in the AppleTalk network driver. Uh, this one is interesting, I guess, because AppleTalk is not a very widely used network protocol nowadays. And so if you're not needing that, you can actually go and uh, deny that module from even being loaded. You can just add it to the file, etc. modprobe.d slash blacklist rare network.conf. And in that case, uh, you just put in there alias net pf5 off i've got uh your details of that in the show notes if you want and it's certainly something i recommend doing you know it's sort of standard hardening practices there to i guess um only you only make available what you really need and you know, get rid of all the rest um, but yeah in this case again another one that was able to be abused by a local unprivileged user so could potentially escalate their privileges through that one as well uh, a few more kernel updates so a null point d reference uh, was fixed for the oem kernel in Ubuntu 2204 lts uh we also had that that ktls and apple talk vulnerabilities fixed for our kernel for 2310 uh, as well as for 2204 and finally, for uh, our Azure uh, full disk encryption uh, specific kernel, so that's a, a kernel that's designed for doing confidential uh, virtual machines in the Azure cloud, uh, for 23.10 was updated, 15 CVEs rolled into that. And again, that includes uh, that KTLS uh, splice vulnerability plus the Apple talk one and a null d reference within the kernels TLS implementation that I talked about back in episode 219. Uh, Moving on we had an update then for Firefox, updating Firefox to the latest upstream release, 123.0 and that is for Ubuntu 20.04 LTS. This includes the usual sorts of fixes that we see in web engines and the like. So fixes for attacks like cross-site scripting, uh, you know, remote code execution and all the usual sorts of things that we see. Then we had an update for Roundcube webmail, single CVE here fixed uh, for all of the releases going back to 16.04, uh, which is available through Ubuntu Pro uh, and all those since. In this case, uh, it was a cross-site scripting attack uh, that's able to be abused by simple uh, text plain emails with crafted links inside them. And I thought that sounded really interesting because if it's text plain, how do you get kind of any code execution in that? And it turns out that you know RoundCube, being a webmail uh, front end, uh, likes to do some nice kind of things and kind of mark up all your links and the like. So a common practice in text emails is if you want to put essentially like a reference in your email, you'll put like uh, number one in square brackets and then at the bottom of the email, you'll have that number one and then the link that it contains to. So instead of having to put the link directly in the body of the email, it can make your email a fair bit more readable in plain text. And so RoundCube likes to then uh, linkify all those little uh, number one or number two in square brackets, whatever it is. And so if an attacker then used a form like uh, square bracket and then script in HTML tags plus whatever JavaScript they want to execute there within that, then it would go and directly embed that in the generated HTML without any escaping. And that's just standard code injection there and therefore cross site scripting that you can get as a result in the user's browser. Okay, so moving on, we had an update for GNU kind of BinUtils. Three CVEs here fixed for our more recent releases, so 2004 LTS and 2204 LTS. Two of these were denial of service issues uh, through excessive memory consumption and one was a null point to your reference as well. So again, yeah, all, uh, all of those denial of service issues actually uh, should be noted that in general upstream does not consider bin utils safe for analyzing untrusted inputs or running, you know, say objdump or whatever against untrusted binaries and, you know, we think the same, it's not designed with that in mind. So yeah, just be aware if you are, you know, using it for those sorts of purposes, make sure you've got it appropriately sandboxed or running in a VM or something like that. Okay, moving on though, we had an update then for Postgres uh, for 2004 LTS, 22.04 LTS and 23.10. Uh, In this case, uh, Postgres failed to properly drop privileges when handling uh, refresh materialized view concurrently commands. In this case, uh, it should be dropping privileges so that uh, the SQL uh, code is getting executed as the owner of that materialized view. Um, But in this case, it wasn't doing so. And so if an attacker could trigger such a uh, query to be executed by a user or an automated system, that would then get run with the privileges of that user rather than the owner of the view that was expected. So that was fixed. Uh, DNS mask was updated for three CVEs. Uh, Two of these I actually talked about in uh, episode Two one nine, they are the key trap vulnerability and another associated one in the DNSSEC protocol itself. And as I mentioned then, yeah, it, it wasn't just uh, BIND that was being updated in that case for these CVEs. A lot of other DNSSEC implementations were going to get updated as well. And this is the associated update for DNS mask. Uh, Lib.xml2 was updated for a single vulnerability. Uh, this is the uh, popular XML parsing library uh, developed originally by the GNOME project but used in lots of places now. In this case, there was a use after free that could be triggered if uh, it was doing document type validation with XInclude expansion enabled under certain conditions. Uh, we then had an update for libde265, the H265 encoder. Uh, this one, uh, I actually talked about this again uh, back in episode 219 because there was a heap of vulnerabilities that were fixed then, and now this is another raft of vulnerabilities. Uh, a lot of these also look to be fuzzing related, as we mentioned back then as well. So, yes, yeah, some people are clearly fuzzing this library and finding a bunch of uh, good CVE coin in that. Uh, OpenJDK was updated to the latest upstream point releases, so both. Uh, 11 17 and 21 and that includes obviously both vulnerability fixes plus uh some bug fixes and the like too uh and i'm uh, assured that openjdk8 is on its way as well thanks evan so i'll probably talk about that one next week PHP was updated uh, for two CVEs as well. Uh, What else, we had an update for OpenSSL. Uh, In this case, this is uh, a hardening update actually for uh, our older maintained versions of OpenSSL. So OpenSSL three and 1.0. So in OpenSSL 3.2.0, the most recent release upstream, uh, they introduced a change to return random output instead of an exception when it detected the wrong padding for PKCS uh, version 1.5 encryption. So basically, uh, if uh, was using that, uh, you would then potentially get Uh, a timing side channel as a result uh, based on the amount of padding and you can therefore use that timing side channel to infer the secret key and potentially break confidentiality as a result. So what we've done is we've backported that change uh, to now yes return random uh, output instead of an exception in that case uh, to those earlier versions of OpenSSL so that uh, it is now protected against that as well. Uh, Two more to go, so we had an update for less, the popular paging utility. Uh, In this case, less failed to quote file names when using uh, less close. That could then uh, get arbitrary shell commands to be executed. Uh, Now, I wasn't actually familiar with what less close is, so I went and looked it up. Uh, so, as you're probably familiar, less is a popular pager uh, for Linux, but it also includes um, the ability to do uh, pre processing and post processing of that output around viewing it. So, you can imagine you might want to view something like a HTML document, but you want to convert that to text first so that it gets displayed nicely in uh, your terminal. So, you might want to run something like HTML to text on it, and you can do that by specifying uh, less open as HTML to text, and then you might need to specify that you want want to clean that up so maybe uh, in that case you're generating a temporary file and so you need to go and delete that and then you can do that through the less close environment variable and so in each case uh, less will execute whatever you specify in that uh, with whatever file names uh, but it wasn't appropriately quoting the file names which then meant you could get uh, essentially shell command execution directly uh, by less as a result so that was fixed and finally, we had an update for libtiff. Three CVEs here. Uh, in this case, there was a heat buffer overflow in uh, the libtiff library itself. There was also a heat buffer overflow in the tiffcp tool. And that's used to combine multiple TIFF files into a single one and a possible uh, out of memory issue in libtiff if an input file specified a very large size, but then failed to actually contain that amount of data. So essentially the headers for the TIFF file specified, yeah, that it's really big, but then the file is actually just truncated. Uh, and so yeah, libtiff would then go and allocate a huge amount of memory for that, but then obviously there was no data to then be processed. So you can easily then trigger an out of memory uh, exception essentially without having to provide such a large file on disk or Elsewhere, so that was fixed as well for libtiff, and that is it for the week in security updates. Okay, so something I wanted to follow up on uh, that I mentioned uh, in the previous episode was the announcement that the Linux kernel is now going to assign its own CVEs. They have become a CVE numbering authority. So yeah, since then they have actually started assigning their own CVEs. Uh, their first CVE was assigned on the 20th of February, so you know a week and a half ago. Uh, in this case, it was CVE 2023-52433, titled "Netfilter NFT Set RB 3 Skip Sync GC for New Elements in This Transaction." Now what you might be able to infer from that is their CVE really is just the git commit that fixes the issue and we did talk about that a bit uh, back in uh, that episode there kind of uh, wondering about the correspondence between uh, fixes and CVEs themselves because often CVE is the vulnerability and it might need multiple commits to fix it uh, but in this case it looks like we're still getting just uh, single commit fixes for vulnerabilities but we'll see. Uh, Looking at all of the CVEs that they have assigned though, they're not just assigning them for new issues, they're going back and assigning them historically. So we can see that there have been 40 assigned already for 2024, 66 for 2023, a single one for 2022, 165 from 2021, 13 from 2020, and 3 from 2019. And so all up as of now, Friday the 1st of March, as I'm recording this at about 4am UTC, uh, they have assigned 288 CVEs. Uh, and you know, up until now, then that's about nine days and fifteen hours and eleven minutes, or you know, two hundred and thirty-one hours total. So, you know, my quick math says that they are currently assigning more than one CBE per hour, as we had predicted. I guess last time we talked about this, you know, it did look like they were going to be assigning a lot of CVEs based on uh, the statements that they made. That kind of anything that was a bug fix could potentially be a vulnerability. And yeah, it feels a little bit like that is how it's going. Um, you know looking at some of these we can see that you know they're not necessarily all um, directly security vulnerabilities some of them have been reported by static analysis tools like coverity uh, and that's not infallible uh, so eight of them actually were mentioned as coverity issues but you know I've certainly seen lots of coverity reports for things that aren't actual vulnerabilities but you know they can potentially be you know look like a buffer overflow but if there's no way for you know other code to be able to trigger that or there are earlier checks that are in place that would catch that or if the function's never called in such a way well then you can't necessarily use that so you know they're not all vulnerabilities plus um something i did allude to back when i talked about it before was the historical global security database which was kind of set up as an alternate um you know vulnerability database instead of cves uh, and in that case they were assigning uh, gsd ids for lots of these fixed commits uh, historically and you can actually see a pretty well direct one-to-one mapping for a lot of the vulnerabilities that they've now the kernel has now assigned the cves uh, back to their old gsd identifiers so in, ca- in the case of say cve 2019 25160 that directly maps to the gsd id that was assigned in 2022 which is gsd 2022 1000, sorry one thousand and one seven one five. Uh, and as i had mentioned then gsd has currently over 13573 linux kernel issues so i really wonder if this you know so far 288 cves is suddenly going to become thousands over time as they start going back and enumerating all of those old gsd ids you know i had hoped that the kernel cna wouldn't become a big fire hose of just random you know, commits essentially but that is you know, what it look, kind of looks like is going Uh, On a personal note, I'll also note that uh, this week I've been on the CVE triage role for our team uh, where uh, every week someone looks at all the new CVEs that has been assigned across uh, the whole CVE ecosystem and matches those up against uh, the equivalent packages in Ubuntu or maybe they don't exist in Ubuntu and uh, tries to assess the uh, severity of them and figure out does that need to be patched right away or not. And uh, just looking at the time I spent, historically I would normally spend about an hour a day uh, doing that kind of Role this week, I've been spending more than at least two hours every day doing that role due to all these kernel CVEs, and a big part of that is because uh, the kernel uh, CNA is not assigning any kind of severity score to these. You know, there's just a git commit uh, with a very brief description, and there's no real way to assess the impact of that to know, you know, is this a high priority or something we need to fix now or not. And because of the fire hose, you know, I don't know if there's any good way to do that now. Because of all of these large number of CVEs that's being assigned, perhaps the best way of dealing with this is better tooling. On our side, Mark Delorier added support for automatically extracting the required Git commits from the CVE notifications and adding those to our CVE tracker. And the kernel team already has a bunch of tooling which checks if the commits that we list in our CVE tracker are in the Git trees that they are using for their various Ubuntu kernels. So we should be able to relatively easily identify, have we already fixed these vulnerabilities or not? But it still doesn't really help with the prioritization aspect. Um, As I say, because the Linux kernel CNA isn't assigning CVSS, which I had thought was a requirement of being a CNA, that you had to tell uh, what the severity of a given vulnerability was before you assigned a CVE. Uh, but they aren't doing that yet so that does really leave uh, a lot of us in the dark as to you know whether any of these actually need fixing right away or not Uh, and even I guess the the kernel CNA themselves did say that uh, you know they will be assigning uh, CVEs for things that uh, you know bugs that look like security issues but that we don't know necessarily if they can be exploited because it's not always clear at the outset so you know at the moment it looks like almost no one is doing this work to determine the exploitability of these issues and you know that is something i think that will have to be addressed at some point but given uh, the large fire hose at the moment is it something that anyone has the time for or is it just a matter of everyone just has to make sure they've got all the commits Now, as I said previously, our kernel uh, update process is to take all the latest stable commits. So we are already uh, doing that and our kernels are already following the process that the kernel CNA would like everyone to be doing. But it does make me worry about all the other kernels out there that are perhaps not doing that and now are gonna have lots and lots of CVEs uh, that are applicable to them and no good way of addressing all of them. So yeah, I will probably address this again in another month or two's time to see how things are going then. But yeah, if you've got any thoughts definitely let us know so as always if you want to get in contact with a team you can email us at security at ubuntu.com you can always come and chat to us in the ubuntu security channel on libera.chat or you can come and find us on mastodon we are at ubuntu security at fosterdon.org there as well so thanks everyone for listening again for another week i'll be back again with you all next week but until then remember keep calm because we've got your back and i'll speak to you soon bye